If you put your effort and concentration into playing to your potential to be the best that you can be, I don't care what the scoreboard says, at the end of the game, in my book, we're going to be winners. The talent for so many players today, the talent in the spotlight, it's taking them to heights that their character's not strong enough to support. I'm one of those set goals achievements. I talked about faith, passion, obviously the drive the guys that I've been around and the guys that surround me every single day. If I want to be one of the best, I've got to play with and against the best. Okay, so that which gets praised gets repeated. You're listening to The Hardwood Hustle, brought to you by PGC Basketball. Coaches, thanks for tuning in to the Hardwood Hustle. This is TJ Rosine alongside Sam Allen filling in for Adam Bradley. And uh, we're going to jump into uh, part two today, which is going to be uh, re- really, really interesting, the beginning of the season. So on last episode, uh, we covered off. So if you haven't listened to it, go back and listen to it. But we covered off the preseason. So we're journeying through my season as a coach where we just finished up winning the NCCAA National Championship, National Christian, Co- National Christian College National Championship. And uh, what that journey uh, was like. And we talked about a, a preseason, basically about how to lay um, the foundation. And, and just to kind of put a bow on that one, we just talked about how important it is to lay the foundation and, and how you can't skip steps and how you have to be willing to welcome adversity um, in the beginning. And you also have to be able to forecast what is your adversity going to be? Injuries, parents, um, unhappy teammates. You know, there's so many things that could happen and uh, academics and how do you prepare for all of those things so we went through the preseason Sam now we're going to step into the very beginning of the season when we get into like our uh, our exhibition games then we get into the beginning of uh, the first part of our season yeah and I think this time you're you're really getting to know your players I mean you you have some returners that you know really well you know what to expect from then you also have some new faces whether that's you know guys that have been on the JV or, or transferred in from another school and so as you get into games you start to learn more about each each player and tj you probably have an idea with roles going in but roles do change they change throughout the year um i think that's healthy i think it's healthy that you know player knows they may be buried on the bench early mm-hmm. but they can keep earning their way up and you could be the starter but if you if you don't come to practice and you don't come to game prepared and you know have a certain level of of pride about you and how you show up you know you, your role could diminish so you know talk to us a little bit about about roles yeah well gosh you know I, i've always found this one a little bit con complicated and here's here's why is it's i think you know in the beginning of the season like i'm always been pretty fair about trying to give guys a chance right but in the meantime you know you're trying to win games while you're trying to figure out who can play and who should get those minutes and if you ever break it down like at the college level i mean i think it's it's pretty crazy but like i know uconn had a couple games this year the uconn women where um only six players got in the game you know, and, and you think about who's on their bench, like McDonald's All-Americans. Mm-hmm. And then when you look at Duke and you think about the guys that transfer at the end of the year and, like, they basically play six guys good minutes, a seventh guy gets some minutes, and occasionally an eighth guy, you know. But there's 15 guys on that team, and most of them are McDonald's All-Americans. And so, you know, you're thinking to yourself, I mean, you go into the season and, and uh, you know, a lot of high school coaches and everybody's thinking, well, every kid should play, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And then all of a sudden you have 15 kids on your team and only seven or eight are really eating up the minutes. Um, and my dad was on to, on me about that all year long. Like, I, I, he was like, you're playing too many guys. 
you know, and, and there's a lot of truth to that. Like, it's hard to get in a rhythm when you go. I mean, everyone has their own philosophy, right? Some guys mm-hmm. five in, five out, and, you know, all the different things that go into that. But, you know, I think at the college level, I've found that, like, it is hard to play 10 people. You know, it's really hard to play 11 people, sometimes even complicated to play nine people. And so one of the things that I think is really good to level set on that. Um, because at some point you have to get down to roles. You know, you got to get down. Like if you're going to be excellent as a team, people have to execute their role. But they can't execute their role until they know their role. And I think playing time is, a, is an important piece of that. Yeah, and so at the high school level, you've got about 160 minutes. I think players, TJ, don't often look at things from a coach's perspective. And I think it's really important for coaches to get players – to put on the coach's shoes or put on the glasses of what a coach is looking at. And a high school coach knows they got 160 minutes to distribute mm-hmm. in a game. You as a college coach, uh, 200 minutes to distribute. Well, if you go player by player, uh, Kendrick, you know, how many how many minutes do you think Kendrick's going to play? Uh, he probably play about 32, coach. Oh, and Elijah, oh, probably about 32 as well. They just ate up 64. I mean, they just ate up 64 of your 200. When I mean, you start playing it out, players start to realize, man, there's not a lot of minutes here. Yeah. I think it's really good. Like, to, what you do is you, you have, um, you know, you put down the one spot, the two spot, the three spot, the four spot, and the five spot. Mm-hmm. And then you put down the names of people you think should play at each spot and how many minutes they should play at each spot. I mean, it, it is. It, it looks like when your players do it, the most complicated math problem they've ever done in their life. Because what they obviously do, they obviously put down like all four names at point guard, and they're like the first player should play twenty five, and the next one should play twenty, and the next one should play fifteen, and the next one should play ten. You know, so then you you walk them through that, and you're like, okay, twenty five plus twenty is forty five, plus fifteen. Now we're at sixty, and then ten. Now we're at seventy minutes. Do you realize you more than just doubled the actual amount of minutes there are in a game of thirty-two minutes at the point guard spot? Mm-hmm. Like they have the hardest time doing that. So then you know. So then a lot of them will be like, "Well, I'll drop so and so, so and so." Then you'll be like, "Well, okay, let me get this right." So you decided to distribute the time. You put the first team All Conference player playing sixteen minutes at the point guard spot. Like most people would think, they should play thirty or thirty-two. It is mind-blowing, and I think it's a good process for players to go through to start thinking like about what a coach has to make or what goes into the process of making a decision of who plays. But I, I we do that every year with our players. Yeah, so you, you've got – once you get into these early part of the season, you've got the players, players' roles that you're, you're playing through. Uh, what else is going through your mind? You know, you got assistant coaches' roles. Is that changing? Are you sticking to it? from what you did or are you realizing oh gosh well this coach isn't as strong as uh, as I thought they may be I may need to pull the reins back or I need to give this coach more talk to us about some other things going on well I think when you lay out the whole entire picture of a season right like you know first of all in the preseason everything feels like it's going to work you know mm-hmm. and then you get into some preseason scrimmages or exhibitions and it's a whole different feeling as a coach because you really, you know, it, it's the only time you breathe a little bit because you know it doesn't count whether you win or lose. And so sometimes you make decisions in those games different than you would in a game. Oh, I'll put so-and-so in the game, and I'll put so-and-so in the game, but then all of a sudden the game matters and it's your record. Maybe you wouldn't put so-and-so in the game, you know? And so there's, there's the process of going through that. But I think one of the most important decisions you'll make um, 
over the course of a season is how you're going to use your practice time. I think this is really crucial. Like in the preseason, let's just say you have 20 hours. I'll just throw some people have eight, some people have 10, but I'm just going to use a nice round number of 20. You know, what percentage of that time goes to defense? What percentage of that time goes to offense? What percentage of that time goes to player development? What percentage of that time goes to just shooting? You know, all of the different things, special teams. I think it's really important. I think one of the things that's really important and crucial in season is what do you value the most? Like once you start playing games, so the very beginning of the season, does your does it shift? Do you do less player development? Do you do more player development? I think that's a really important decision for coaches to to be making, especially in the preseason. Um, and I think that also plays into the question you asked about how do you use your assistants? You know, like where are they most valuable? Where can they can they add the most value to your to your program and team? But um, I think a lot of people neglect important things um, in their practice plans throughout the course of the season. And every coach is different. I think you got to know who you are. What do you value as a coach? Where do you want to hang your hat on? And, you know, your ability to be, you know, fat, F-A-T, flexible, adaptable, teachable in the moment. You know, that's one, you know, that's what I admire about coaches that can win with different types of talent. They change systems. You see a Greg Popovich win with, you know, the double posts, Admiral and, and Tim Duncan early on, and then evolve and be the first coach that really went to shooting a lot of threes and corner threes. And then, you know, Tim Duncan retires, and then you got Kawhi and Aldridge, and you see that, that adaptability. Mm-hmm. A Coach K comes to mind. You know, a few years ago when they won the national championship, when, you know, Grayson Allen was a freshman, and you had, um, uh, the um, kid point guard is now in Minnesota. Yeah, um, I'm talking about. Okay, so in my mind, but regardless, 2015 national championship, they were down. They that year they kicked off one of their starters, and they were down to like eight scholarship players. And read a lot of articles. Coach K condensed practice time, not as taxing, but then he did a lot more player development and mm-hmm. assistant coaches coming and getting extra reps in. And so that ability to to adjust and to the team's needs and what what you do in 2018 might be different than 2020 yeah uh, but being aware of that and looking around the corner and uh, i think it's a key component of a good coach yeah i agree with you i think um you know at the end of the day um like we all have different things you're right i mean you, you throw out some big names like coach k and everyone's like well i'd love to have his problems <laughs> of doing whatever right but he, he faces a different set of problems, just like we all do. Some of it's, you know, his isn't talent, but but he faced that year lack of numbers and you know thing. And so as, as different you know coaches go in, that's what we talked about in the last episode is like forecasting a little bit, like mm-hmm. strategically thinking ahead and and what do you need to do? And when Duncan retires, what do you do this? And you know how do you become adaptable, fat? How do you how do you you know flexible, adapt, adaptable, teachable? Like how do you become that? Well, I think one of the things that's really important um, in in that journey or that process is just having a, a mindset of like like you said what does the team need in this moment and I think also learning from past experiences you know like on on you know I can tell you a couple of our best practices that I don't know if it applies to everybody but one of the things that over the years that I've I've really learned to not um to not skip is shooting you know like I think people need to shoot the ball and make shots and at the end of the day like we can we can x and o and chop up the game any way we want but the better your shooters are and the more they put in the basket the better your team is going to be you know and so i think that's one thing people get away from a lot because they feel like i have to teach so much to get them better and i have to x and o this and x and o that but at the end of the day if you're x and o in it to death but the ball's not going in the basket 
there's a problem, you know? Mm-hmm. And and kind of like you said with Coach K and his adjustment, like I think towards the end of the year, specifically this year, the last three to four weeks of our season was extremely heavy in player development. And um, and, I, and the reason I thought we is knew – Is that – sorry to interrupt, but is that normal or is that different than previous years? Well, I think every year it's become a little bit more because we've seen it bear out fruit. You know what I mean? Like at the end of the day, I think that uh, previously in my career we were like just trying to make them do what we did better. And I came around to the point of where I think, well, gosh, what if our players were just better at doing what we are, you know, they can, if they could perform better at what we already do. So it was a little bit of a, a shift in mindset. And also just the mental part of it. Like, I think players are appreciated getting better late in the season, you know, because it's almost like you forget about it once the season starts, you know, it's like, well, we're just trying to win the games and move forward. So I really think the players enjoyed it as well. But um, I think it, uh, it, it also comes down to managing their body a little bit. Like, can you go five on five, every possession, all of the time um, down there? But I, 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 yeah, I think you're, I think you're right. You're measuring out your team. You're trying to figure out what they need and how you can make them better. But to me, the two things over time that have really shooting and player development, like I, I would do more and more as the season goes on. Um, and it, it uh, because you know, like I run the read and react. Well, the better we cut and the better we pass, the better our read and react is. And a lot of times, people think the opposite. The more we just do this, the better it will get. But I really think the better players you make, the better it will get as well. Couldn't agree more. And I think at the uh, at lower levels, it's even more important. Yeah, I think at the high school level, you you better all those plays you got and that offense you run. If you can't dribble pass or shoot, I mean, we can bring in Bobby Knight to teach a motion or Phil Jackson to teach his triangle. If you can't dribble pass or shoot, none of that offense works. So, uh, yeah, but the, you, would you, you agree? It. You go see a lot of high school practices. Wouldn't you agree that a lot of the, the best high school coaches you see do a really good job of doing a couple things? One, they, to me, they set the bar really high as far as effort. Mm-hmm. You know, that's one thing. They hold a standard that's really high. The other thing that I think a lot of them do is they develop players. Like, they just make players. You know, I know a lot of kids move in, and there's nothing you can do about that. But the teams that I've seen be consistently good either didn't have good players but were great in their player development, or they had good players and were great in their player development, which took them to another level that the other team might not be able to go to. But I think just holding a high level of of you know accountability as far as intensity that they play with and then also a really good player development program is i think really pretty special i couldn't agree more yeah the, the, you got to set the standard you know but talk a little bit tj so over the, the last few years probably last 10 years you've evolved as a coach where you know in season you recognize okay am i going to get maximum effort you know, my five days of practice, or am I going to have to, you know, maybe three hard days and a couple days, our player development, you know, how has that evolved for you over time that you think coaches, you know, maybe able to grab and uh, a few pieces and nuggets from what you've learned? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I think, um, first of all, we're going to take a halftime break for our uh, communication tip of the day from our friends at Team Snap. And when, but when we come back, I'll, I'll share with you, um, you know, some things that I think have worked for us over the course of the years. Thanks to our friends over at TeamSnap for today's communication halftime tip. If you talk to most coaches about communication, they'll share that they feel like their team's not communicating well. They'll say their guys or their girls on the court just simply don't communicate. Unfortunately, if you dig a little deeper, you find out that few coaches are actually teaching players what to communicate and how to communicate. They simply just want them to communicate. 
Well, I think most coaches should know that if we're not teaching the how and the what, we probably won't accomplish what we hope to accomplish. See, this is something PGC has mastered at their summer sessions in teaching players how to communicate. Here's a great starting point for you. On court, just have your players remember to communicate encouragement, reminders, and names. Just simply start there. It'll give your players something to hold on to. Encouragement, reminders, and names as a great place to begin to enhance their on-court communication. Players, coaches, best of luck this week. And thanks to our friends over at TeamSnap. Make sure you check out TeamSnap.com backslash hustle to learn more about the communication app serving over 15 million people across the globe, helping bring everything together from a scheduling perspective and get coaches, parents, and players all on the same page all season long. Okay, Sam, so really good question when you asked um, you know, about uh, – what do we do like as far as effort and intensity over time um, with with our uh, with our team and I think one of the things that uh, I think players really appreciate is um, not showing up and doing the same thing every day you know there is a part of the process that repetition matters but I also think that gosh there's so many practices and it can be a long season like they, they they appreciate doing different things and one of the things that I think has really helped us over the years is knowing when to, to gear it up and to, to gear it back. So we talked about the preseason last episode. Now we're like kind of getting into the beginning of the season. And, you know, you and I, I think we're at a clinic a while back when it was Rick Barnes was talking. He's just had a great year at Tennessee. At the time he was at Texas. Texas. And he was talking about like their swim, the you know, the, the Olympic swimmers that they had and, you know, how, how, how he was pressing his guys to go hard six, seven days a week. And he's talking to the swimming coach and the swimming coach tells him about, hey, even Olympic athletes can only go their max maybe three days a week. And so when we get into the early part of the season, we try and somewhat go by that philosophy. You know, if we have two games that week, we basically have one hard practice. And the other practices, they might be full of intensity and energy and passion, but they might be shorter. They might be more skill development. And um, But I think when you get in there over the course of the season, if you get in there every day and just bang heads, like players can get worn out. And I think that's what Rick Barnes was alluding to. His teams were just wearing down. And um, so I, I found over time, especially like when we start the season out, we've, we've been going so hard for so long to practice and get ready. Now it's time to kind of like manage your bodies and make sure that you're only going, you know, hard for maybe three days a week, possibly four, maybe just two sometimes to make sure that um, they're, they're right. Doesn't mean, doesn't mean, I, I think this is really important. I think a lot of coaches think, well, we'll just have a lazier day or whatever. I think you either shorten the time, you like, I'll give you an example. Like some days we'll go only in the half court, you know, and some days we'll let the lines be a little bit longer to gain, you know, rest between reps. And some days we'll get up more shots. But I think it is important to stagger your practices in a way that you're not going hard six, seven days a week um, for long periods of time and just draining their bodies. Well, I think you bring up something really important, which is, and I struggle with this personally. You know, the same, you mentioned the same drills and, you know, how do you, you know, I, I'm in a lot of gyms and there's a, there's a catchphrase I use, which is master the boring, you know, master the fundamentals, do it so much until you get bored. That's when you know you've really started to master a certain skill, a certain rotation defensively when it becomes habitual and you don't think about it. But the struggle can be for a coach is how do I 
stick to our guns, stay with the pillars of our program. This is who we are, but also keep it fresh. Um, and that, I think a coach is a salesperson, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. A coach is a salesperson. You know, yeah, husband, we're, we're salespeople to get our wives to marry us. We had to be a salesperson. Yeah, you were, but, and you were a heck of a salesperson. <laughs> so, but you got to sell your team on why they need to listen to you, yeah. why the information you're giving them, they need to go do. That's, I mean, whether you realize it or not, we're all salespeople every single day. Uh, so, you know, but a lot of coaches coach the same year on repeat for 30 years. It, you could go in their practice in year two and it's the same in year 22. Yeah. You know, but then so the, I think good coaches, they, they recognize what we do well, we'll keep and then adjust in year yeah. to year. But how do you, how do you balance this idea of well, that, yeah. keeping it fresh, but also, yeah, we got to get, we're going to do this four on four shell and defending the cutter, defending the screen, the screener action. And yes, we're going to do it. For two weeks straight every day yeah well or maybe in the entire year every day something okay, like yeah. shell drill you know so i i think there's a lot of ways to do that i think this is where it's really crucial is like i i, I understand mastering the boring is really important because that's i mean there's no if, if people knew what it took to be a champion probably most people wouldn't want it you know what i mean like it's a lot of hard days doing the same thing over and over again but at the end of the day like take something like sheldra which a lot of coaches on here do i do all of the time um I, I think there's a ton of ways to vary that up like for instance let's just let's i'm going to go through a very vague example let's just say you go in monday okay this is the early part of the season you go in monday and monday is a, a really hard work day because you don't play till thursday and saturday all right so on monday it's just a really super intense where it's shell drill on the pass then there's one dribble now you allow cutters then you allow some screens then you, you know what i mean you just build up the shell drill and it's 30 minutes of intensity and going through that right well, then maybe, you know, the next day is Tuesday, all right? And when you go into Tuesday, maybe uh, you vary it up and, and uh, you have different things where there's maybe captains and you say, hey, listen, we're going to play two important games today. One's the one dribble game of Shell where that's the max you have. And so and so. So let's break you up into four teams and whoever can get four stops in a row wins, right? So now you add a competitive nature to it, right? Then let's go to Wednesday, the day before um, your game on Thursday. We need to slow it down. All right, guys, today everything's about communication. We're going 50% shell drill, but you don't get off until your group is talking better uh, or to up to a certain level, you know? And so you've done shell drill three days in a row. You didn't get away from what you need to do to be a champion. But one day it was about execution. The next day it was about com- competition. The next day it was about communication. So you've done the same thing, but you've just varied it. And, and then the players don't feel like they came to practice and did the same thing every day. Yeah, and another thing I think you coaches can do is empower your players. We talked in you know part one of this series about you know a partnership. Why, why not bring in your leaders, you know, two, three, four, how many ever it is, into your office 15 minutes before practice and say, hey, fellas, ladies, we really need to work on our transition defense. Uh, here's about four drills that we can pick from once you guys decide which two you want to do. And now they got to pick, oh, they're a part of the practice plan. They're going to go on the practice floor with a little more – there's going to be a little more energy a little better leadership from them because they feel a part of it. You, you, you already gave a great point. You know, competition always, you know, elevates performance. And, you know, sometimes coaches can over-drill things. And some coaches don't believe in, you know, man-on-man, girl-on-girl competition. Yeah. 
Yeah, you know, the thing I think you're thinking about, like, we're talking about, like, the early part of the season, like, how does this play in? I think at the beginning of the season, like, you go through that, everybody understands the process that you have to go through, and then all of a sudden you're in the season, and, you know, as coaches, we get a little bit more tense when the games start, right? Mm -hmm. And so we're much more likely, less likely to give away some, oh, hey, what drills would y'all like today, or let's change, you know, all we're thinking about is what we got to win on Thursday or we got to win on Saturday. And so you can really lose focus. And here's one thing that I think is important. And I, I've learned this over the years that I think our preseasons have gotten you know better. And I think especially our early part of the seasons have gotten better um, because of this. Like I'm not letting the stress kill my creativity. I read a really good article lately, um, not too long ago. I didn't even read the whole thing. I just read like a paragraph of it and I, I put a bookmarker to go back and read it. But it, it was Coach K writing a letter to him young his younger self and he talks about like when he became 50 how the stress of winning just got him and he talks about you know hey hey mick i go back to the days when you were a kid and it was you and the boys on the playground you and the boys doing whatever it is that you do you know and i think at the end of the day one of the things that we can often lose as coaches with our players is that this is still just a game right and i don't know if you're ever going to meet anybody that wants to win more than i do but it is a game and and i think coach k he's alluding to that like sometimes we get so far removed from the fact that it's a game and we can do it so many different ways and we can be creative and we can take go on the back you know in the backyard and one day we can play with two outs and one day you can get one strike and one day you can start with a runner on second and one day you can do home run derby and one day you know what i mean there's so many things you could do to have fun but still get the job done and get better at your craft and skill and i think a lot of times the stress especially early in the season when games start coming is uh it kills creativity and in, in, in people's they feel like well who's playing around we got a game on thursday you know and i think that wears off on players yeah, I think you're right, and and we'll probably get into this as we uh, progress through to the next part, but keeping players fresh mentally uh, as well as physically is really important, and being aware of the length of your practice time. You know, if you if you watch film, you know, are you doing it in long segments where they're in there and staring at a screen for an hour, or is it short segments and, you know, quick teaching points, quick two, three takeaways, and then you're out. So keeping them fresh mentally as well as physically, not just later in the season, but I think early on is really important. You know, proper rest and proper practice time and having a gauge on that as a coach I think is so key. Uh, so, TJ, as we kind of close out this this episode, uh, any parting thoughts uh, for our listeners? Yeah, I do. I mean, I, a couple of things that I have is when you get into the season, like be careful um, not to let the, the the stress dictate all your decisions. You know, um, I, I think more often than not, it's an adverse uh, or, or it has the opposite consequence of what you want. You know, and so I think you have to be really careful um, about that. And I think that you know, also when you adjust into the first part of the season, you're trying to vary up practices and you're trying to figure out what's most important. I think another thing that's really um, really crucial um, and key is to to, to not overcoach. You know, not not to to get to a place where players aren't still getting better and they're still not. You know, a lot of times I see players, especially early in the season, they're thinking too much. You know, and and when you players are thinking a lot, they're not reacting. So I think that's really important. I also think that it's really important. Um, you know, o- over time, like as soon as some, as soon as I don't know a better way to say it, but as soon as it hits the fan, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden you lose some games and things don't right. 
you can't throw every the baby out with the bathwater, right? Like you have to go back and 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 that's what we we're talking about in the first episode. You could prepare for that. Like it's going to happen, you know. And I mean, for instance, our season started out this way. Our best player, who we built a lot of our offense around, is a stretch five that can shoot the ball. Thirty minutes into the first game, he's got twenty five points, eleven rebounds, breaks his foot. He's out for twelve games, you know. And so there's a there's there's adversity that just mm-hmm. just came our way. We lose that in overtime. Everyone's disappointed, you know. Like you go through that, it, it, then the whole first part of our season there was a struggle if, to be 500 to figure, you know. And um, and I think when you go through that, like it's really important, you know, how you navigate your team through that because it's really easy to lose them at that point. Um, it's also um, a really crucial time where you can build bonds that can catapult you in the, into the late season. Yeah, not not hitting the panic button. Yeah. But I think at the end of the day, it, you know, the relationships that you have, if you've established strong relationships early, it allows you to navigate those storms and withstand them a little bit. Yeah. And so I think it goes back to that and, you know, being even keel with your, with your team. I think there's two things that we said here that almost contradict each other, but really they're not. They're key necessities to a good team, and I think they play out really important in the early part of the season is – be fat, flexible, adaptable, and teachable, but also commit to the process. And it sounds like, well, if you commit to the process, you can't be flexible because here's the process. And I don't think that's the truth. I think the process has to be like in broad terms. Like for us, the process is um, play hard. The process is love your teammate. The process is you're a part of something bigger than yourself. You know, the process is, you know, above the line in your reactions and your actions. You know, those that's the process. But that doesn't mean everything within it is going to go perfect, you know. I mean, I, I it's you know, basketball is not war, but you, you hear the Navy SEALs talk about it all the time. They step into these environments, and you know, <laughs> the best laid plans are, are good until that first shot's fired, and then everything changes. Mm-hmm. And so you have to trust your training still, and trust the process still. But you have to adapt, and I think it's really important in the beginning part of the season not to over-adapt, not to get too far away from the process. Not to, you know, I think you have to keep a healthy balance there, but at the same time, recognizing where you may have made a mistake and be like, well, this is part of the process, but this part of the process is going to kill us. You know, Then mm-hmm. maybe something needs to change in the process. And I think that's a, you know, a balancing act. Well, I think coaches have to be willing to look in the mirror and say, I got it wrong, or I'm getting it wrong. Yeah. And that's okay, too. There's a there's a vulnerable when you're the when you're vulnerable with your team, you know that creates trust. And when you have trust, you have better closeness. When you have better closeness, you're gonna play harder for each other. And you're gonna play harder. You're gonna win more games. It all ties in, but it goes back I think to the fabric of the character of your team and who you have in that locker room and hoping that they can withstand that adversity. Yeah. So in episode one we talked about the preseason. Now we're talking about the early part of the season right now and our team right now at this part of the season we're four and five then we're five and six and then we're you know then we're six and five six and seven seven and six we're just kind of creeping through um and playing a ton of different games like you know like i said before we're four 100 point games we give up we win 107 105 then we lose 116 104 and that's just not us you know but we're going through this crazy level uh, of adversity and um you know through that part of the season but we're learning how to trust the process and we're also learning how to be flexible and adaptable because uh, you know best player breaks his foot and there's a whole bunch of things going on and we're trying to fit, find out roles and one of the biggest things the reason we're struggling is we're not in roles and so we get to the middle of the part of the season we start hammering down roles and that's what we'll talk about in this next episode so coaches uh thank Thanks for tuning in to the Hardwood Hustle. I'm TJ, and this is uh, Sam Allen as our guest today. And uh, we just finished part two of the journey through the season. We're going to come back in the next episode, and we're going to do part three. 
Hope you'll join in.